Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of The Real World. This is your host, Juan Pablo Sá, talking to you from the CITR station at UBC Point Grey Campus, located in the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. This week, we have a very special episode for all of you, and that is the case because I am once again joined by the incredible, the amazing Lily Grow. Say hello, Lily. Hello. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so for those of you who have been tuning in to all of our weekly episodes, you know that we are currently doing something called The Movies That Shaped Us. You know, that is the recurring series that is happening throughout this term over here at the real world CITR 11.9 FM Vancouver. So last week, I started with my list of the movies that shaped me. That said, you know, it was a pretty extensive list, and we only made it halfway through. Yeah. Uh, so the episode ended up getting split into two different parts. So, you know, last week on Monday from 4 to 6 p.m. was part one of the movies that shaped me. And now this week, right now, the episode you're hearing to right now, this is part two of the movies that shaped me, Juan Pablosa. It's it's weird to say my name. I don't talk about myself in third person. <laughs> But that is who I am, and you are listening to the movies that shape me. So, you know, if you guys missed out on the first part of the conversation, if you guys missed out on, you know, the first half of the of, of my list, uh, you know, make sure to go to the CITR website, you know, look for the real world. And if you want, listen to the episode or or don't, you know, I don't tell you what to do. If, if you don't want to listen to the previous episode, that's also fine by me. You know, you can just stick around and listen to the one right now. But also you should listen to the last episode. Should Agreed. we do a little recap of I mean, so the topics, but just yes. of the topics. So we did yes. your childhood. <laughs> yeah, the childhood was one of the topics. So, you know, once again, just a caveat, this is not a list of my favorite movies of all time. This is not a list of the best movies I've ever seen. This is just a list of the movies that have had the biggest impact in my life and in the person that I am today. Um, so keep that in mind. Um, and yes, as Lily was saying, my my episode of the movies that shaped me uh, is divided into different sections. You know, I tried doing it chronological, but it ended up not working. So I ended up just grouping movies into different themes. Uh, the first chapter was my childhood, where I talked about movies that were very important for my childhood. Uh, my second chapter was becoming a fan, where I talked about the movies that were very important in turning me into the fan that I am today. You know, Lily and I talked a lot about Harry Potter because we both love Harry Potter. And I expect us to talk even more about Harry Potter, not next week, but the week after that when Lily does her episode of the movies that shaped us. Mm -hmm. um, then the next chapter was growing up, which I talked about movies that made me grow up <laughs> <laughs> and made me come to terms with reality. Uh, then after that, uh, the next chapter was called Really Getting Into Films, and I talked about some of the movies that really sparked that cinephile itch inside of me. Um, then the next section was called Getting Into Philosophy, you know, movies that really pushed me into thinking deeper about certain things. Um, then after that, the next chapter was called Wrestling With My Faith, where I talked about movies that really pushed me into questioning my religious beliefs and, yeah, questionings. The things I believed in or I took for granted in this world, I guess. Um, and then right after that, the last section we covered in the previous episode was a chapter called Wrestling with the Fact that the World is Not Just Black and White, where, you know, we continued my story arc, you know, we continued my character development <laughs> <laughs> into the point where I'm realizing that the world is not as simple as, you know, a naive version of myself used to think it was. Mm. Um 
So yeah, th those were the chapters that we covered in the previous episode. Once again, if you're interested, go listen to them at the CITR website. Um, right now, we're going to start with the next chapter of my story told through film. Uh, and the next chapter is basically cinematic experiences that I will never forget. Part one. There's, an <laughs> there's another one of these coming down the line. Okay. Um, so yeah, you know, just like in the previous episode, uh, the episode is going to be accompanied by music from the movies that I'm going to be talking about. Um, and before we start, before we jump into the chapter of cinematic experiences that I will never forget, we will go into a brief musical break and we will go listen to a song from one of the best cinematic experiences I've ever had. Oh this gosh. was a song that when I heard it back in December 2015, I just, I was so unbelievably excited. And here it is. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. You know what I could go for right now? Authentic flour tortillas pan-fried until golden brown. Yum! Or vegan taco kits filled with traditional Mexican chilies and spices. Yeah, that sounds good. Or how about vegan potato and chorizo taquitos? How can I get these foods immediately? Buy Lita's Mexican Foods. Sounds delicious. Tell me more. Lita's Mexican Foods is a female-managed, plant-based Mexican food innovator in BC. Their products come pre-packaged and frozen at tons of local grocery stores around Metro Vancouver. Not to mention they can be cooked in under 10 minutes! Wow, that sounds perfect for me. I've been so busy lately and dinner takes so long to make. Where can I get my hands on some Lita's Mexican Foods? Lots of places! Whole Foods, Choices, Stongs, Vegan Supply, Donald's, and even UBC Bookstore. Hey, where are you going? To buy some Lita's Mexican foods. See you later. See ya. 
Interested in making radio? How about hosting your own show? At CITR, you can make your radio dreams come true by joining a collective. From news, art, sports, to gender empowerment, accessibility, music, and the BIPOC Collective, there's definitely something for everyone. Explore new worlds both virtually and at our station, and be prepared to have a blast with some new pals. For more information or to join, please visit citr.ca slash get involved. Welcome back to the real world. This is your host, Juan Pablo Sá, talking to you from CITR 101.9 FM Vancouver. I hope you enjoyed that musical break, but now it is time to jump back into the movies that shaped me. So once again, this following chapter is all about some of the best cinematic experiences I've ever had. You know, cinematic experiences I will never forget. Part one. <laughs> uh, and of course, the song that you guys listen to. What What is that song, Lily? It is from Star Wars. It It is from Star Wars. It is the opening fanfare from all the Star Wars movies. But this version in particular that we just listened to is from Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens. And this movie means a lot to me, okay? So, you know, I, I guess I'll begin by, you know, telling you a bit about my history with Star Wars, my relationship with Star Wars, you okay. know, as some might say. Uh, so, you know... As I said in the previous episode, I grew up in a family that, you know, m my parents enjoyed movies. They liked movies, but, you know, they weren't, like, the most adventurous with movies. And they they only watched, like, you know, based on real life Disney movies with right. us. But they, they weren't the biggest fans of, like, Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or fantasy or that sort of stuff. Uh, so me growing up, I, I, you know, my parents never introduced me to Star Wars. They never showed me Star Wars. They never showed me the Star Wars movies. In fact, I got into Star Wars when I was, like, in fifth grade. I got a bit late. I remember, like, the only reason why I got into Star Wars was because I got tired of everyone talking about Star Wars and me not understanding what the hell they were saying. Yeah. And Sometimes like, that's that's what it takes. You are 100% correct. In fact, I remember there was, like, a, a party. One of my friends, in like, in third grade, threw, like, a Star Wars-themed party. Yeah. And one of the games was, like, Star Wars Trivia. Oh, no. And there were, like, two teams. And I was the last one to get picked. Because no. I had never seen Star Wars and I felt so bad <laughs> and I had to answer one question and I remember I don't remember what the question was, but the answer was Yoda. I hadn't seen the movies, there was no way of me to know that and I I just I just remember everyone laughed at me so much because I didn't know it. <laughs> so anyways, in fifth grade I was like, I'm done with this bullshit. Yeah. Sorry, Adam. I'm done I'm done with this and I'm watching the Star Wars movies. You know, yeah. I'm 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 finally gonna get in the same wavelength as all of my friends. So I sat down, I watched the Star Wars movies. At that point, there were only six Star Wars movies, you know, the original trilogy, um, uh, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, and then you also had the prequel trilogy, The Phantom Menace, um, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith. I became a huge fan, loved the world, loved the stories, loved the characters. As we established in the previous episodes, I am a big fan of expansive worlds with big world building and histories and characters and magic and lore. You know, that's why I love Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones and Harry Potter and Percy Jackson and Greek mythology. And now this was another one of those worlds that I could very easily get obsessed with. Uh, that said, you know, when I got into Star Wars, the Star Wars fandom was very divided, to say the least, okay? And there were people, there were two different types of Star Wars fans. There were those who hated the Star Wars prequels, and there were those who loved the Star Wars prequels. Right. I was in the side of people who didn't really like the prequels, you know? I enjoyed them. I enjoy Revenge of the Sith. I think Revenge of the Sith is a very good movie. But apart from that, not a fan. Jar Jar Binks, 
hate that character. <laughs> you, do you know who Jar Jar Binks is, Lily? Mm, maybe. <laughs> he's, he's, like, he's like the lizard guy who's like, Oh, Mr. Dada Binks. Now you know. <laughs> Did that tickle your memory? <laughs> yeah, I recognize the voice. That actually sounds very accurate. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know if I should be proud of that or not. Uh, but yeah, the point is, I, I wasn't a, I wasn't a fan of the prequels. And when I got into Star Wars, the Star Wars fandom was divided. And from the get-go, from my first day in that fandom, there was infighting everywhere. You know, people arguing. My friends were arguing. Everybody I knew who loved Star Wars were arguing about what movies were better. <laughs> then Disney bought Star Wars, and that was another shit show. And people were like, oh my god, Disney's gonna ruin Star Wars. Then they announced Episode Seven. Everyone was so scared for episode seven yeah. because they're like, oh my God, we, we're going to have another prequel trilogy in our hands. Like, this is going to suck. I was very nervous. Then I pre-bought tickets for episode seven, like two months in advance. I got the tickets for the opening day. I still remember December 15, 2015. I was so excited. I was going to go with my parents, even though they didn't like Star Wars. I made them come to this movie. And then like, Two weeks before the screening happened, I was notified that they needed to remove my wisdom teeth out. And it, the surgery was going to be the day before the Star Wars premiere no. on December 14. And I was like, you know what? Let's see what happens. I got my wisdom teeth removed. <laughs> Incredibly painful. I look like one of the chipmunks from Alvin and the Chipmunks. I'm getting mine removed in a month. Don't say oh. that. <laughs> oh, I'm incredibly I'm... <laughs> painful. Worst experience of my entire life. Hey, listen. I got the removed by a Colombian doctor. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and what does that mean? The, it, I don't know. It wasn't the best. I guess the you know local anesthesia wasn't the best. I could oh, still no. feel some things. You know, <laughs> they they didn't sleep me fully, so I could still like <laughs> hear and see while the guy would like go into my mouth and do like. <laughs> And I would hear, like, the weird, meaty sounds. It, it wasn't pleasant. Okay, that's it, horrible. It was horrible. And then I got, like, super puffed. I turned into a chipmunk. My yeah. mouth was, like, hot. I could only eat, like, like soup. Uh, I remember afterwards, I was like, okay, this is a moment of truth. And I asked my doctor, could I, like, for instance, like, go to a movie theater? And she said no. She was like, no freaking way because, like, the air conditioning and, like, the changes in temperature could, like, affect your gums. Okay. I don't know. I, I don't really remember what she said, but she said something like that. The point is I wasn't allowed to go into movie theaters. Then I asked her about popcorn. She said no freaking way because if I had, like, okay. popcorn, bits of corn could go into the, 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 yeah. the wound, you know, and stay there forever. But let me tell you something, Lily. You know? These are some of the sacrifices you must take when you're a Star Wars fan, okay? Mm -hmm. So then the next day happened. I was in so much pain, but goddamn, I was not going to miss Star Wars Episode 7. No way. And I went to the premiere screening. I was in so much pain. I bought a big tub of popcorn. Oh my gosh. I, yeah, I, I, you know what? And as soon as the movie started and that song started playing, I just felt so happy. It was all worth it. I completely forgot about my my pain. I completely <laughs> forgot about my gums were burning. I ate so much popcorn and hey, nothing happened for the record. You know, my, 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 my mouth is perfectly fine right now. And once again, you know, when the movie started, I was a bit scared. I was a bit hesitant, you know, because I wasn't the biggest fan of the prequels. But then I remember, have you seen Star Wars Episode 7, Lily? Mm, I don't think so. Oh my God, how <laughs> dare you? <laughs> the point is, 
There's a part in Star Wars Episode Seven where, like, as soon as the movie begins, Kylo Ren, who's like the big bad guy of you know Episode Seven, he gets off his ship and he's like, you know, a- attacking a bunch of innocent civilians, and then someone fires a laser beam at him, and then he just turns around and stops that freaking laser beam in mid air, and I was I. That is the moment when I was like, okay, we're in good hands. And I loved episode seven. To this day, I know, I know, you know, there's a, a bunch of revisionist history people who are like, oh, you know what? Episode seven actually sucked. And nah, 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 none of that, okay? Episode seven was amazing. I freaking love that movie. The action was insane. The, the final lightsaber fight in Starkiller Base with, like, the snow and the blood and, you know, the, the, the lightsabers cutting down the trees. That was, that was amazing. That was freaking incredible. I, I, I love that movie. I think so I have damn seen much. it. Yeah, and then, I mean, a spoiler alert, I guess, if you haven't seen Star Wars Episode Seven, but the death of Han Solo? Oh, my God. Okay, did I spoil it for you, Lily? <laughs> no, I feel like I've seen this one. Yeah, the death of Han Solo, who is Harrison Ford's character, that really, really hit me. And I remember crying. You know, my, my mouth was puffy. I was a chipmunk. I was in pain physically and emotionally yeah. because Han Solo just died, killed by his own son. And uh, I loved Star Wars Episode Seven. And then I remember... For the two years that followed after Star Wars Episode Seven, for the first time in my life, the Star Wars fandom was united. Everyone came together to love this film. And it was great. It was freaking amazing, you know? After so many years of my friends fighting about whether the prequels were good or bad or, you know, if they were worth watching or not, then, you know, nothing mattered. Everyone came together. We were all on the same page on Star Wars Episode Seven. You know, kumbaya. There was... There was <laughs> joy and peace in the world we hugged we cried we did (laughs) of course you know that that love didn't last for long because then a little movie called star wars the last jedi came out and you know that that completely divided the fandom once again and i'm not gonna get into that one but yes that is the first movie i will mention today star wars episode 7 huge impact in my life one of the best cinematic experiences i've ever had now moving on Another cinematic experience I would like to mention is Logan, 2017's Logan. Have you watched Logan, Lily? Oh my god, Lily, how dare you? Sorry, 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 Uh, sorry. Logan is the final film in the X-Men franchise, I guess. This was the last film of Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. You know, until now, I know he's returning in Deadpool 3, but, you know, until now, this is his final film, his final performance. And it is an incredible freaking movie. I loved Logan so much. And the reason why this cinematic experience stuck with me so much is because this movie came out in 2017, the year when I was graduating, no, when I was finishing 10th grade, which is also the year when us IB students have to do our personal project, which is basically a very long project that we work on for the entire year. And it was incredibly hard, incredibly long, incredibly tedious, and it, it just... Me and all my friends were so stressed about this project all year long. And I remember the day we handed that project in was the day that Logan came out. And we all handed in the project. We felt free for the first time in in months. And then we went to celebrate to watch Logan. And then Logan dies in the film. And then we all cried. And it was very sad. But it was an incredible cinematic experience. (laughs) Moving on. Any any comments, Lily? I've never heard of this. You've never heard of Logan? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> Lily? I'm looking at it right now. First superhero movie ever to get nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay at the Oscars. 
incredible performances, incredible script, so heartfelt, so sad, and the ending, oh my god, it just ripped me apart. One of the best superhero movies ever made, Lily. You gotta, you gotta fix that right now. You gotta watch this movie. Okay, today it's happening. Hell yes. <laughs> Uh, the point is, uh, okay, the last film that I want to talk about in this section of cinematic experiences that I will never forget, part one. Uh, the last movie I want to talk about is Blade Runner 2049. Have you watched Blade Runner 2049? Or the original? None of the above? <laughs> okay. Oh, Lily. Young young Padawan. Young Grasshopper. There's 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 many films you got to watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The point is, I, I love Blade Runner, you know, as we established in the previous episode... At this point, I was already very much getting into films. Uh, Blade Runner, the original one by Ridley Scott, was a movie that I very much enjoyed. And then they announced the second one, directed by Denis Villeneuve, who I I love Denis Villeneuve. I love his style. I love his movies. Um, He has directed Prisoners, Enemy. He recently directed Dune. He directed... He's he's an incredible director. I I love him so much. He directed Arrival. I love Arrival. Um, And the point is, he was directing Blade Runner 2049. I was extremely excited. Then... The week the movie came out, I don't know why so many of these films are kind of related to surgeries that happen on my body, but <laughs> the week this movie came out was also the week when I was going to have eye surgery. And oh yeah, I, I used to have uh, a weird mass inside my right eye. Was it my right eye? I don't even remember. But I used to have like this weird mass that was like slowly growing into my iris. Yeah, my, my eye for a while looked like like, you know, like the Apple logo, I guess. There was like <laughs> like a little chunk okay. because of the white thing growing into the brown part. Oh, okay. Um, and, you know, it, was like, it, it, it wasn't doing anything to me. Like, I could still see properly. But, you know, there were concerns that might maybe in the future something could happen. So they decided to take it away from me. And that was very scary. Um, yeah. And the point is the week... I was having eye surgery was also the week when Blade Runner 2049 was coming out. So you went to the doctor and you said, listen, (laughs) (laughs) is there any chance it's 3D, but (laughs) no, 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 no. Okay. Unlike with my, with my wisdom tooth extraction, I I knew for a fact that I wasn't going to be able to watch movies for like three weeks after having eye surgery, because this is eye surgery after all. Um, so so I knew I wasn't going to be able to watch anything for three weeks afterwards. And, uh, you know, I knew Blade Runner 2049 wasn't doing that well in box office in other countries where it already came out. So in my mind, I was like, okay, if I wait to watch it until after the surgery, then by the time I'm able to watch stuff once again, it's probably going to be out of theaters or at least out of Colombian theaters. And there's not going to be any way for me to watch it in the big screen. And I remember I begged my father, who once again hates sci-fi and doesn't really like this sort of films. Mm-hmm. And I made him go watch it with me the night before the surgery. <laughs> And um, at that same time, uh, Colombia was playing a very important soccer game, a football game, I should say. But, uh, you know, soccer for all of you North Americans who call it the wrong way. Uh, But yeah, Colombia was having a very important football match. Uh, My father was missing this football match because he was going with me to watch the movie. He's a big big sports person. So, you know, that that was huge. (laughs) We walked into the theater. I'm not kidding. Completely empty. The only two no. people in there were my parent and my father and me. <laughs> then 15 minutes into the film, my dad looks at me and is like, well, 
no idea what's happening. I'll see you in two hours. And he walks out of the movie. And, you know, he told me later that he went to, like, a sushi shop nearby. And he just watched the football match at the sushi place <laughs> while I watched the movie. And you were the only one in the theater. It was a weird experience. Yeah. It was, like, the biggest theater in, in, in the local cinema that I used to go to. Yeah. Like, so, so big. Only one person. It was me the day before my eye surgery. And then the movie begins with a shot of the protagonist's eye. The film's villain is blind because a <gasps> surgery went wrong. That's actually creepy. Yes. There are so many eye shots in the movie ah. that I was like, oh, are you trying to tell me something? Are you, God, are you, are you, should I not go ahead with the surgery? What, what, are, what are you telling me? Um, yeah, it was insane. Especially when like the villain was played by Jared Leto is like blind. I was like, hold on, wait, wait a minute. Okay. Wait a minute. That's weird. Very weird. Uh, the point is the movie was great. I adored the movie, but you know, it stuck with me because once again, of how it resonated with what I was living at the moment. Um, next day I had eye surgery. Um, it all went well, you know, except for the fact that I woke up halfway through the surgery. Oh my gosh. I I did. Stop with that. Dude, they, I, this is a complete tangent, nothing to do with the movies that shaped me. But the point is I, you know, they, they give me anesthesia. I went to sleep uh, my eyes got like super groggy and I like lost control over my eyes and they were just like bleh, like flop around freely. Oh. And then, you know, I, 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 I slept and then I woke up like when the surgery was almost done, but it was not yet over. And I remember my left eye was like free, like moving freely. And then my right eye was looking right up and I was like, huh, why the hell can I move my right eye and not my left eye? And then I realized that the reason why my eye was looking up was because it was still attached to the string that was being used to stitch oh my, my god. eye oh up. Oh my god! Okay, that's horrible. <laughs> so I could that's literally see thing. the doctor, my ophthalmologist, Ew. going stop, in and out, stop. in and I out. I actually don't want to think about that. I think at some point they realized I was awake, and my ophthalmologist was a friend of the family. He was like, "Oh, don't worry, Juan. We'll get out." He woke up. He woke up, and then they like put something in me, and then I went to bed again, and then I woke up, and it was all over. But. Uh, Pretty what? traumatic experience. That's horrible. <laughs> hey, it was weird as hell. Um, but I lived through it, you know. And whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you stronger, <laughs> Lily. What can I say? What can I say? Um, the point is, that is it for this chapter of uh, Cinematic Experiences That I Will Never Forget. Part one. Once again, there's another one. Can't wait. Coming coming soon. <laughs> uh, coming now, soon. Yeah. Now I'll move on to, to the next section of the story of my life told through film. And the next chapter is called My Engineering Summer Camp. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so back in 2017, little Juan wanted to be an engineer, Lily. Would you have ever bet that was the case? Um, no. Well, you're in your science courses right now, <laughs> so there. I, well, I'm, I'm struggling through them, but yes. <laughs> the point is, yeah, I, I wanted to be an engineer. And I was taking like IB physics and IB math. And I was like, I was like, get at them. And I was like, oh my God, I love numbers and that sort of stuff. Um, and then, you know, I, I, but I was a bit doubtful of what I wanted to do with my life. So my parents, you know, great guys, love them so much. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, the point is they told me like, hey, if you don't really know what you're going to do with your life, you know, you should try out like a summer camp and, and see if you like it and see okay. if it's truly your thing. Uh, and they were gracious enough to, you know, pay for a summer camp for me to go to New York, to the New York Institute of Technology. I, I don't know why I'm name dropping them, but yeah, I, I went to <laughs> NYIT for like a three week engineering summer camp. Wait, when was this? 
Summer 2017. Wait, were you also were you also in New York in summer 2017? No, I've never <laughs> Did been. Did we cross paths <laughs> and we didn't even realize Wait, Lily? Oh my god, I was in that engineering <gasps> thing too. Oh my god, you were that one annoying girl, I remember. <laughs> no. I've never been to New York, I wish. Um, it, it's That's a, cool. It's a cool place. But yeah, the point is I went to this engineering summer camp and you know, great, great program, great mm-hmm. summer camp. I learned so much about 3D printing and like and like softwares and and engineering and we had like talks from like company people who knew what they were talking about it was really freaking cool that said the whole three weeks while the engineering summer camp was going on i i think the highlight of my trip was when we went to the movies <laughs> so <laughs> in the middle of the engineering summer camp we went to watch spider-man uh n- homecoming you know the, the first spider-man mcu film okay and yeah that was by far the most even though even though the summer program was great that going to watch spider-man homecoming was like the most fun i had in those three weeks and i think that was one of the first moments when i was like hmm maybe i should pursue this film thing maybe maybe i shouldn't just like love film maybe i should try to work in really? film that was the moment i mean after spending three weeks doing engineering and then still being more excited about the one movie we watch in those three weeks than anything else i learned yeah i think that was one of the first moments when i was like huh maybe i should do this um and you know other two films that came out during that engineering summer camp that i wasn't able to watch because i was in the engineering summer camp were christopher nolan's dunkirk and war for the planet of the apes those films also very influential for me because Once again, I was dying to watch them. So the whole summer camp, while I was learning about engineering, I was dying to watch these two films. And my brightest spot was watching Spider-Man Homecoming. So very much into film, despite the fact that I was in an engineering summer camp. Right. And that is it for this section of um, the movies that shaped me or a story of my life told through film. Now, Lily, the next chapter of the story of my life told through film is called Love. Oh my god. Or love question mark? <laughs> or young love? Or was it even love? I don't know, but hey, stay tuned. <laughs> the point is, um, you know, at some point after the <laughs> summer camp, I had my first romantic experience, I guess. You know, I'm, I'm not gonna go into detail for okay. obvious reasons. Okay. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm not gonna... <laughs> Say live on the radio what the name of this person was and <laughs> everything that happened. If you're listening. <laughs> no, she's not. <laughs> I hope you're not. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the point is, you know, I, I had my first romantic experience. And that was a very new feeling for young Juan, I guess. Uh, as we've established, I, I don't know why the hell I'm talking about this, but it's too late now. Um, as we've established in the previous episodes, I'm a very passionate guy. When I love something, I love it passionately, okay? I loved penguins passionately. I loved Greek mythology passionately. I loved Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, all of those things passionately. And then when I fell in love, oh my God, I fell in love passionately and deeply. Um, And I guess I should start the story by talking about the first movie that is important to mention in this love section is, you know, actually my first date with this person was to go watch a movie. And the movie, it wasn't airing at the moment. I think it was a rerun. Like, you know, the movie had come out years before, but they were doing a rerun. I don't know why in one of my local theaters. And yep, not a great first date movie, I must admit. (laughs) Not the best pick. 
uh, we went to watch Selma, okay? The story of Martin Luther King Jr. and how oh. he fought for black rights. Yes, not a you know, great movie. Love yeah. the movie. Not a good first date movie, though, <laughs> you know? If you're thinking of holding someone's hand and kissing them, you know, you don't want to see black people, su- any people suffering on screen. Like, that's not <laughs> not a good atmosphere, I guess. Um, and yeah, you know, th- that movie let an, had an impact in my life, I guess. Um, I remember throughout the whole film, I had like this little plan of how I was going to kiss her, you know, towards the end of the film. And I was like, oh my God, this is going to be our first, hey, whoa, what do you mean? <laughs> and then I was like, okay, this is going to be our first kiss and it's going to be romantic and it's going to be great. But then halfway through the movie, the movie was so good that I was like, you know what? I'm just going to watch the film. And then, <laughs> I, I know this is this is not good. I don't know why I'm talking about no. this. No, <laughs> okay. So then you keep watching the film. I keep watching the film. And then towards the end, she wanted to kiss me. But she what did that like heck? in the most interesting moment of the movie. And I remember being like... Hold on. Oh, yes, yes, literally. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> wait, wait, wait until the movie's over. And she got so pissed i mean for good reason like you're going on a first date with this person yeah on the first date like you could have made the sacrifice listen the movie was good okay lily and martin luther king was about to give his i have a dream speech okay i was very into the film i wasn't gonna stop for no lady okay i'm not a simp Uh i'm kidding but uh but yeah the point is towards the rest of the film simultaneously in my mind i was like Oh my god, this what movie's great. I and I was also, oh my god, I just tanked my relationship. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't though. You know, it, it all went well. Okay. You know, we didn't kiss that day, but then later on we ended up meeting another time and we did kiss. And then it's like, you know, ooh, things got, you know, better from there on. And, you know, we kept dating and the relationship kept evolving. <laughs> and I'm so not going to get into detail. <laughs> but. And then, you know, the next movie I want to talk about is Christopher Nolan's Interstellar. And the only reason why I'm bringing this film out is because the only reason why I'm bringing this film up, not out. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, the reason why I'm bringing it up is because um, I remember we had to watch this movie for one of my design classes in high school. Oh. And um, yeah, we took design classes. Lily. We're so cool. In IP. <laughs> not this was MYP, but you know, close enough. Okay, okay. Um, but yeah, the, the, the point is, um, I remember we had to watch this cl- this film for one of our classes. And right before uh, we were to watch this film, I had my first big fight with this significant other. Same one? Yeah, yeah, same one. We, this was this was a pretty meaningful relationship. Like, this this one marked me. Um, and, and yeah, you know, it that was, you know, once again, my first fight ever with a person that I you know, was kind of romantically interested in. No, I was very much romantic. I I was in a relationship with. Um, and even though I love the movie and it's an incredible film and I love Christopher Nolan's Interstellar, uh, every time that I watch it, I, I, I still, I still, you know, I, I still think about that experience and I still think about how in pain I was the first time I watched the film. But it, it is an incredible, incredible movie. Um, then, once again, not going to get into details, uh, the relationship ended. After like two years, and yeah, it was pretty long. That's a long um, And it didn't end in the best way possible. It was a shit show towards the end. Okay, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be blatant. Um, it was not good. Um, you know, my little heart was broken, uh, shattered into a million pieces. But you know, yeah. Once again, whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you stronger. You know, I, I did learn a lot from that experience. Um, and you know people deal with bad situations in different ways. And the way I dealt with being heartbroken and being extremely sad was through films. You know, I I, I 
desperately needed a distraction. I desperately needed something to get my mind away from what was really bothering me at the moment. And I turned towards movies. You know, I was already getting into movies. I was already very much into movies. I was already very much considering the option of doing film, you know, studying it. Uh, but it was at this moment when, you know, every time I was in pain, every time I felt sad, I just, you know, started watching movies, trying to get my mind away from these things and, you know, trying to think about something else, I guess, trying to distract myself. And, you know, in some occasions it worked. Like, you know, some films were great distractions that completely brought my mind away from my pain and just like, you know, sucked me into this world and made me very happy. And it felt very nice to watch these movies. Uh, it was during this time when I started watching movies that felt like the cinematic equivalent of a hug. I think the two best examples I could say is, uh, you know, the classic Singing in the Rain from 1952 and Paddington 2. I, for some reason, I knew you were going <laughs> to say yeah, Paddington. Of course. <laughs> it feels like a hug. Okay. Yeah. Those movies really had an impact on me. They were so happy and so vibrant and and you know everyone in the film was just having fun and yeah. being happy and living their lives and Paddington 2 oh my god if you haven't seen Paddington 2 you listener you right now you got to fix that because Paddington 2 is one of the most wholesome movies I've ever seen. And yeah, you know, this was a time when I very much needed a hug and this movies gave me the cinematic Aww. equivalent of one of those. Um, but, you know, it wasn't only about movies distracted me from what was going on in my life, but in some cases, also movies helped me deal with the things that were going on in my life. So some movies very much distraction, other movies just gave me the tools to deal with what was happening. And one of those films that really, really, really had an impact in me in this moment of my life was Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I watched this film... Three days, I think, after I broke up. Well, you know, after we broke up. Um, after, after you know, our relationship ended. And that movie just destroyed me. I remember watching it. I cried so much. It's not the best choice for three days after. No, 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 no. no. It wasn't <laughs> the best so choice. sad. But, um, yeah, you know, I saw so much of our relationship in the characters. Yeah. I, I saw so much of me and, and what I was going through and what, you know, Jim Carrey's struggles in the film. Um, but that is a film that stuck with me. And, you know, the first time I watched it, I was like, oh my God, what did I do this to myself? This is torture. But then yeah. I, I kept thinking about it. It's a movie that stuck with me. I kept revisiting it. Every time I revisited, I cried. Every time I cried a bit less, but still I cried. Um, you know, as I mentioned in the previous episode, I was taking philosophy in the IB um, I ended up writing my internal assessment for philosophy, which is like the big final paper that you have to hand in as a philosophy IB student. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very cool, Lily. What can I say? Um, I, I wrote my philosophy internal ass assessment on Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was a movie that really had an impact in me. I, I wrote it on, you know, up to... I'm paraphrasing, of course. This is not the... T I don't remember the exact title, but it was something along the lines of like, up to what point is it fair to say that uh, our identities are a product of the experiences we lived? And, you know, at this point in my life, I was in a very dark place. I was, you know, very much depressed. I was very sad. And I was very much going through a period of my life where I was thinking, oh, my God, I wish I could have never, I, I would, I couldn't, well, well, okay, let me say that again. <laughs> I was in a period of my life where I was like, okay, I wish I would have never lived through that. You know, I, I wish I could just delete these memories from my head just like the characters in eternal sunshine of the spotless mind yeah. did 
But you know, this movie helped me realize that that is not the point. You know that that painful experiences. Yes, they are very painful and they hurt and they are terrible in the short term. But at the end of the day, they are very important building blocks that come together to create the person that I am today. So you know. Through watching this film over and over again, I realized that yes, you know, my memories with this person suck, and I had some terrible, terrible experiences, thanks to this person and thanks to the experience we lived together. But I would never take it back because I learned a lot from it. I grew as a person, and you know, I became better thanks to it. And you know, as I said in the previous episode of the movies that shaped me, once again, The Lion King, the first movie I mentioned this whole thing, you know. There's that whole conversation between Simba and Rafiki, where you know Simba hits no Rafiki the monkey hits Simba in the head with the the stick, and then you know tells him, you know, yeah, I hit you, but it's in the past, and past can hurt, but you know the way I see it, you can either run from it or learn from it, and yeah, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind was a movie that really made me realize that yes, it hurts, yes, it sucks. But it is important. It is something I should go through. It is something that is helping me grow as a human being. It is helping me get better. And that movie has a very special place in my heart for that reason. In fact, I don't know if you've noticed, Lily, but that is my phone lock screen. Yeah. When I lock my phone, there is a picture of Kate Winslet and yeah. Jim Carrey in the eyes, lying down. So I love Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um, another movie similarly that also really. You know, made me question my own relationship. I guess uh, was Five Hundred Days of Summer. That was a movie that really wrecked me when I watched it for the first time because I also watched it in close proximity after. I don't know why the hell I Girl. chose this film, <laughs> but you know, I, I I saw a lot of myself and what I was going through in uh, Joseph Joseph Gordon Levitt's character. That's the thing, yeah, Joseph Gordon Levitt's character. Um, and I remember especially. You know, the, 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 the way that film captures the feelings, like the way it feels from the inside, the subjective feelings that you get when you're in one of these relationships. Like, I remember watching that movie when, when, like, everything is going great and then suddenly the movie turns into a musical and everyone starts singing and the sun is shining and everything is perfect. And I'm like, yes, I remember feeling that way. Like, I remember feeling that joy as if, like, the whole world turned into a musical. But then similarly, when, you know, sad stuff started happening in the film, also, you know, cinematography got dour, everything got darker. And I was like, yeah, that is that is how it feels. You know, that is this is a great visual way of showing how subjectively something like this can feel. I particularly remember there's one scene in the movie where uh, he goes to a party. He's seeing his ex once again. He's seeing Summer once again. Yeah. And they show you like side by side the mm -hmm. expectation versus reality of what he hopes would happen. That she would like forgive him and she would be like, ah, yes, let's let's be a couple again. Yeah. But then you see the reality and that's not what happens. And yep, I was guilty of having expectations like that all the time after we broke up. So yeah, that movie that movie really made me go oof. <laughs> mm -hmm. Goddamn. Um, and then, you know, the last three films that I have to mention in this love section of my story are the Before Trilogy, Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and Before Midnight. Have you, have you watched them, Lily? I saw the first <gasps> and oh maybe God. the second, but I forget it. I, I love them. They're like some of the best love movies I've ever seen. And, you know, by the point I watched this films, I was already healing. You know, I was already getting better. I was already realizing that, you know that my relationship with this person wasn't perfect. You know, I, I just idealized it because it was the first relationship I ever had. It was the only relationship I ever had. I had no point of comparison. 
you know, I, I, I looked at it through rose-tinted glasses and saw it as perfect and this incredible thing when actually it wasn't. And there were many red flags that I should have seen a lot sooner. But, you know, that's part of the learning process, I guess. And, you know, this film's, I think they really opened my eyes to, hey, this is what a good relationship can be like. You know, th- this is what good, you know, reciprocal affection can be like, where, you know, one person is not giving more than the other, where there's communication, where, you know, this is what it can be like. And, and I think this movie's really made me react and realize, yep, I'm glad it's over. I learned a lot, but it wasn't good. And that was the end of my love story arc. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, okay. Now, before before I jump into um, my next batch of movies, uh, I guess we shall go into another musical break. And this time, we're going to listen to a song from, you know, this period of my life. This is a song from Singing in the okay, Rain. Okay, good. I was nervous. <laughs> what, what do you think I was going to play? <laughs> no, I was just hoping it would be that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're playing a song from Singing in the Rain. We yes. are playing the key song, Singing in the Rain. Love this musical. Yes. You know, it made me happy when the whole world seemed dour and sad. And once again, this song is all about a character. It's raining. It's dark. It's, it's dour. But he's like, you know what? Fuck that. I'm going to sing in the rain and I'm going to I choose to be happy even though the whole world is telling me I should be sad. And here it is. Singing in the rain, just singing in the rain. What a glorious feel, and I'm happy again. I'm laughing at clouds so dark up above. The sun's in my heart, and I'm ready for love. Let the stormy clouds chase. Everyone from the place Come on with the rain I've a smile on my face I'll walk down the lane With a happy refrain Just singing, singing in the rain Dancing in the rain Yeah, 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 yeah. 
I'm happy again I'm singing and dancing in you have in that very moment. Do you want to change the state of the world? But instead you keep buying material goods to satisfy whatever desire you have in that very moment? Me too. But now you can do both! Rock Shop and Community Thrift is a local vintage shop that fulfills your 1970s all-chic fantasy while also supporting at-risk people through their compassionate and supportive work training program. All of their profits go to the PHS Community Services Society to support ongoing health care, harm reduction, and health promotion projects in Vancouver and Victoria. So stop by their two locations, Community Unisex on West Hastings or Community Frock Shop on Corral Street. And if you know any other local businesses that deserve recognition for their generous business practices or their contributions to the community, please DM us on Instagram at CITR and Discorder because we would love to spotlight them. Because hey, if you can't stop buying, you might as well start supporting. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna do it. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do on. it wrong. I'm about to spit yeah, in this mic like <laughs> freestyle elfin, you know? Okay, okay. <clears throat> Wait, hold on. Does this make sense? <laughs> <laughs> no, but who cares? All right, let's go. <clears throat> Finally, we. <laughs> <laughs> You're not even gonna last. All right. Victoria's pretty good, not bad festival, fountain, just back from France. 
Montreal. <laughs> what the f is the script? I couldn't even. What? Victoria's pretty good, not bad festival. Fountain okay, just back from France. What are you even saying here? Oh, you're trying to say these are the things featured oh, yeah, yeah, in this one. You should probably specify that. Because even a fucking elf couldn't understand that, okay? Think you can do better than an elf? At CITR, we want to have a variety of voices on the air. Want to write scripts? Do some voice acting? Broadcast your creativity? Volunteer with the CITR production department. No experience? We can also train you in everything required. Send an email to psas at citr.ca to learn more. And don't wait to get your voice on the air. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that was one of the weirdest ads I've ever heard here in the CITR. <laughs> But we both love it. Incredible, <laughs> incredible ad. <laughs> hey, hey, if you can do better than an elf, definitely send your an email or whatever the hell they said in the ad. Yeah. Um, anyways, <laughs> oh, that completely threw me off. <laughs> uh, welcome back to the real world. Uh, this is your host, Opolo Sala, talking to you from CITR 101.9 FM Vancouver. I am, of course, joined by the incredible, the amazing Lily. Say hello, Lily. Hello. And for those of you who are je- just... Oh, oh, my God. For those of you who are just ca- catching us... That ad really set us off. Uh, yeah, oh, my God. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, for those of you who are just tuning in, um, you know, once again, I am going through a list of the movies that shaped me or, you know, I guess it would be better called A Story of My Life Told Through Film because that is pretty much what I'm doing. Um Once again, this episode is part two of, you know, the story of my life told through film. If you guys are interested in checking out part one, um, you know, go to the CITR website and, you know, there you'll be able to listen to the first part of this episode. Um, You know, uh, just a little recap of what we've been talking about in this episode. We started, I started talking about cinematic experiences that I will never forget. Part one, uh, where I mentioned some great movies such as Star Wars The Force Awakens, Logan, Blade Runner 2049, my pre-eye surgery watch. (laughs) Um, we then the next chapter was called Engineering Summer Camp, where I talked about, um, you know, uh, the fact that I was very much into film, even though I was in an engineering summer camp. And then the last chapter, the one that we talked about before going into the musical break, uh, was love question <laughs> mark and and uh, yeah yeah that, that was the last chapter <laughs> the point is moving on it's gonna this is gonna get more happy okay i promise okay yeah, yeah I'm um excited. the next chapter i'll be talking about so okay we, we already had a chapter called engineering summer camp this next chapter is called filmmaking summer camp so the point is um you know after my engineering summer camp i you know i mentioned that my my favorite part of the whole engineering summer camp was watching Spider-Man Homecoming with my friends at the summer camp, uh, which, hey, the, the program was great. The classes were great. But still, you know, my my favorite part was watching a movie. And that was the first thing that really made me question, huh, maybe I should get into film instead of going into engineering. And, you know, once again, my parents have always been very supportive. Um, that said, you know, they are also very practical p- people. You know, they're very practical people from Colombia. You know, my, my father is a farmer. He manages a farm. We've got chickens and sugarcane and cows and pigs. Uh, my mom used to be a professional cyclist. Uh, but, you know, they, they are both very practical and very down to earth. Um, I remember when I told them for the first time that I wanted to be a filmmaker, uh, they didn't take it very kindly, which completely understandable. I am not blaming them at all. Like, I don't know how the hell I would react if, you know, because here's the thing, like I was 
an honor roll student like i was doing like <laughs> sorry not to brag <laughs> not to brag but i was like no i'm like i was top of my class i was getting like gr- incredible grades in physics and okay. chemistry <laughs> and math and i was all doing all yeah and i was doing model united nations and winning like important awards at muns not to brag this sounds like this sounds not so bad but to brag. <laughs> hey this Juan is context is okay. a genius be so honored you get to listen to his voice right now okay anyway carry on lily more. lily said that okay not me but <laughs> I, i didn't say that um uh, yeah I, i was also head boy <laughs> last thing to add but Uh, the you know this is a context I will give you so you know I had all this history this was everything that I was doing in high school my parents were expecting me to become like you know a famous engineer or a famous politician or like you know something like that and then out of nowhere I we, I remember we were having meat we were eating meat uh, like at a, at a restaurant we were meeting eat at a meat restaurant okay I don't I don't know how to call that in English sorry um, and uh, I remember I told them hey I think I want to study film. <laughs> And uh, yeah, they were very shocked. <laughs> they they were very surprised, um, and they questioned that decision a lot. Um, you know, of course, my parents very practical, very down to earth. They they were like, hey, if, if you want to try to get into the arts, you know, you're probably gonna end up like living under a bridge. Like you're not gonna have <laughs> enough money. Like that's <laughs> it's not gonna be good. You gotta you gotta yes, you gotta dream big, but you also gotta think about the tangible future. Um, and you know that was. Um, pretty big conversation that I you know still remember to this day uh it got pretty heated but uh the point is you know my parents even though you know they they always share their thoughts and you know they try to guide me in the best path forward uh they're also very reasonable and they could see the passion that I had for filmmaking and how much I loved movies and you know I love them so much and they decided to support me or they decided to at least give me a chance to see for sure if this was something that i really wanted to get into before i you know before i i i pulled the trigger and decided to go into this industry so you know just like they did for the engineering summer camp they were like okay we will send you to an uh, a filmmaking summer camp of your choosing and you know you can you can go there and you can try filmmaking and you'll see if this is for you or not and i found this filmmaking summer camp uh, made by the new york film academy at los angeles uh, california oh my gosh and I'm not kidding. It was like some of the best weeks I've ever had in my life. It was absolutely incredible. Everyone else in the summer camp was just as passionate as I was. I made so many good friends. We were like learning classes from like some of the best people in the industry. Like I remember our 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 cinematography professor had been like a camera operator in the Taken films with Liam Neeson. Like we, the classes were incredible. The films were incredible. Then like the projects that we would film throughout the summer camp we would we actually got to film those at the Universal Studios backlots which are actually used for filming real movies it, it was an insane insane experience and the point is there are um three films that I want to bring up that really marked me in this period of my life first of all the good the bad and the ugly i i had seen the good have you seen the good the bad and the ugly do you know what i'm talking about when i say the good the bad and the ugly lily No. Wow, how dare you. Uh <laughs> anyways, <laughs> The Good, the Bad and the Ugly is one of the most it's yeah, it's probably the most famous cowboy film ever made. It is one of the most famous westerns ever made. It is directed by Sergio Leone. Incredible music by by Marcone. Uh amazing performances by everyone, you know, Clint Eastwood acting as Blondie, the man with no name. This film is 
one of my father's favorite movies of all time. So I remember when I was like very young, he was like, "Hey, listen, listen here, kid. We're gonna watch the good, the bad, and the ugly." And he made me watch like a three-year-old, uh, like a three-hour-long, a cowboy movie when I was like eight. But I, I loved the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, but in this summer camp, my directing professor was just as obsessed with the good, the bad, and the ugly as my dad. And for every single thing he would teach us, you know, the 180 degree rule, the 30 degree rule, uh, continuity editing, you know, match cuts, stuff like that. For every single example, he would show us a different scene from the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that film really stuck with me because that was the film through which I learned pretty much Everything from an elementary level that you need to know about filmmaking, I learned about montage, I learned about rhythmic montage, I learned about how to create tension, how to visual storytelling, you know, all of these things, all through The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. So yeah, I, I loved The Good, and The Bad, and The Ugly before because of my father, but after this summer camp, I loved it even more, and, you know, now I consider it to be one of the best movies I've ever seen. Uh, so that is the first movie I will bring up. Lily, you definitely got to watch it. Hey, Adam, if you're listening, you got to you gotta sit Lily down and you got to make her watch The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, it's a great film. Um, you know, and it's iconic. Come on, Lily. You know, like, I, I'm sure you've heard the... Well, I think I would have heard of that, but for some reason, that was not one of your best impressions. Like, <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? That was spot on. But yeah, hey, that's the iconic song from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. But uh, point is, love the film. Great experience. Uh, my directing professor for my filmmaking summer camp, hey, kudos, man. You, you made me fall in love with this even more. If you're listening. if you're, I, I know he is. You yeah. know, we've got millions of listeners every week. <laughs> Come on. Um, but then, you know, other two movies that were very influential in this point of my life was the first one is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is a film by Quentin Tarantino. Have you watched it, Lily? Yeah. Do you like it? I didn't watch it at a time that... No, I didn't like it. I, that's, <laughs> hey, fair. No worries. Yeah. We, we can talk all about it two weeks from now if you want, but <laughs> we probably won't, but... <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, the, the main reason why uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood really had an impact in my life was because, first of all, I'm a huge fan of Quentin Tarantino's body of work. I love his films. You know, Pulp Fiction, Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, Kill Bill, Reservoir Dogs, Jackie Brown. I mean, come on, dude. The Hateful Eight. This guy is insane. He's on fire. I love his movies. Um, and I was very excited for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And then what m made me even more excited is that I realized that, you know, once again, okay, so we got to the filmmaking summer camp and we went to the Universal Studios backlot, you know, oh to shoot God. our short films. Yeah. Um, and one day we were shooting at the Western part of the backlot, you know, where like all the old saloons and like the cowboys and, you know, <laughs> the horses and shit. Yeah. And like, the, you know, the big cowboy buildings. And, and it was like very cool, very, very cool. And I remember seeing there were like boxes of props that were like getting packed up because they were leaving somewhere. Uh, and I remember asking one of my professors, like, hey, what, what the hell are all those boxes? What are all those props? And then they told me, yeah, you know, Quentin Tarantino was here four days ago filming, like, some scenes for Once Upon a for his new film. You know, they, they're packing everything up and they're taking it away. And I was like, no fucking way. And then I, I remember I became obsessed with the Western part of the backlot. And I would just, like, walk into every building trying to memorize the interiors of the building because <laughs> I was like, okay... 
if one of these buildings is gonna appear in the film, yeah. I need to be able to say, hey, I walked in that building. I remember how that building looked like. Mm-hmm. And it happened. No. So there was like the main big building where we ate lunch every single day yeah. uh, when we were like in the Universal Studios back lot. It was like the big saloon, like the saloon of the of the Western Shetty. Um, there were no tables, no chairs, because of course, like it's an empty gutted building. You know, you just, the, each production brings their own chairs and tables and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, it was empty. We ate in the floor, but it was like this huge, huge building that looked really cool with like a great staircase and like, you know, those cowboy doors that like uh, open and close, you know, when cowboys yeah, yeah. hit them and then walk <laughs> in. Uh, and I was like, this is a cool building. And then, I don't know if you remember, Lily, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the scene where Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Rick Dalton, where he's acting as like an evil cowboy and there's like a little girl there's like in his lap and then he just like throws her in the ground and it's like the little girl is like the very intelligent one that was reading like a huge book you don't remember i don't remember that <laughs> the point is as soon as that scene came on i was like oh my god i was there i sat in the exact same place where leo dicaprio is sitting and i ate a ham sandwich right there so yeah, yeah. Hey, what can I say? You know, hey, not to brag, but uh, I, I am pretty famous. I sat <laughs> in the exact same place as Leo DiCaprio, only like you know four days later. But hey, but hey, that's pretty close. My butt touched the uh, holy ground. What can I say? But uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so, you know, that movie, huge impact on me. And I, I love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's not one of my favorite Tarantinos, I, I think, in Glorious Bastards and Django and Pulp Fiction and Kill Bills. And, you know, I think those are better, but I still love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And, hey, watching it with my friends was amazing. And the whole way through, I was like, hey, you see that? I was there. Hey, you see that building? Hey, that, yeah, that, 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 that's the bathroom, you know? <laughs> I know that, you know? I was there, actually. I, I'm so cool. Yeah, um, I'm starting to think maybe I was one of those annoying children, but hey, who oh no, knows? Hey, you know, maybe maybe that wasn't the case. <laughs> um, the point is that is the second movie that really impacted me in this filmmaking summer camp for obvious reasons, and then the third movie that really impacted me in this filmmaking summer camp was Mission Impossible Six, Mission Impossible Fallout. Lily, now I know you are the biggest fan of the Mission Impossible franchise. Like you're you're dying to watch the new film, right? Yeah, I yeah, I knew it. I I I know it for a fact. I'm so like glad that's you just brought that's just up. such a like, throughout all these movies. Every time I'm just wishing yeah. you would bring up Mission Impossible. I six, completely agree. <laughs> Fallout. 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 The Fallout. Yes, that's I've the one. I've been dying for you to bring it up. Anyway, so. Why do you like it so much? Because, once again, just like in the engineering summer camp, there was a one day when we all went to watch Spider-Man Homecoming. In this filmmaking summer camp, we all went to watch this film at the Arclight Theater in Los Angeles, like, very close to, like, the the Chinese theater and, like, all the classic theaters in, in, in Los Angeles. I felt so cool you know we walked in the walk of fame we saw the stars i i was i was leaving the dream i was like oh my god it's magical this is the end goal and then we went into the arch light to watch mission impossible fallout and oh my god it was incredible we saw tom cruise you know you saw him fly planes in top gun maverick well here in mission impossible <laughs> fallout as you already know because you're the biggest fan of mission impossible yeah. as we've established yeah he flew a helicopter. He dangled from a helicopter. He he fought. He rock climbed. He this guy did everything, and it was such a good movie. I am a huge fan of the Mission Impossible franchise, especially Fallout. As are you, Lily? I'm, I'm sure. 
Um, and I'm so excited for the next Mission Impossible film, um, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Hell yeah, can't wait for that one. Um, and the point is, those are the three movies that really left an impact in this period of, you know, the 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 filmmaking summer camp. Mm-hmm. Now, moving on, uh, the next chapter I want to talk about is Cinematic Experiences That I Will Never Forget Part 2. Part yes! yes. <laughs> Been waiting. <laughs> this is the second part. Um, you know, I, I came back from the filmmaking summer camp. I was, I was, they, after You were on the, a high. You probably got back and you're like, yeah, everyone was below you. You were just <laughs> no, in Hollywood. No. You were just, you were basically famous for that summer. <laughs> hey, listen, my ego wasn't that big. Okay, Lily. Okay, if you say so. <laughs> but yeah, the point is I came back from the summer camp being pretty decided that, yep, I want to study film. And I remember telling my parents, thank you. I understand your concerns. <laughs> But I'm gonna try it. It's happening. Like, yeah, I, I remember. T- I think the thing that I told them that I that I that I that convinced them is, you know, if it like I remember reading like this quote from Jim Carrey. Speaking of Jim Carrey from Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, haha. He has a great <laughs> quote where I'm paraphrasing, but he says something along the lines of like, you know, there's always a chance you can even fail at something that you don't love, so you might as well try doing what you do love. You know, it's not like, hey, you're for sure you're going to make it if you do something you don't like. No, that's never the case. There's always a chance of failure. So might as well Mm -hmm. try what you truly love. And, you know, I just it just got to a point in my life where I realized that, you know, I would rather even if I fail miserably, even if I try filmmaking and I fail and all my movies bomb and I lose so much money and I, 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 I am a horrible, horrible filmmaker, which, you know, hopefully that won't be the case. But even if that were to happen... I would rather live the rest of my life knowing that I tried it and that I gave it my all than just, you know, live a life doing something that doesn't really make me passionate about and, you know, always thinking to myself, hey, what would have happened if I would have tried that thing? And that convinced my parents. They were like, okay, you know what? You're right. (laughs) Let's uh, go ahead (laughs) and do your silly film thing. (laughs) And I was like, got it. (laughs) Um, And, you know, the the point is... uh, you know, then then afterwards, I had some incredible cinematic experiences. Uh, in 2018, I know, I know, it's it's become kind of popular to hate on this film, but hey, you know what? I don't give a f- I don't give an f. Okay, yeah, yeah I censored myself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't give an f. Okay, I I know it's become popular to hate on this film. I love it. Okay, it won Best Picture for a reason, and of course, I'm talking about Green Book. I love Green Book. I think it's an incredible film based on an incredible real-life story with some amazing performances and amazing script. I adore this film. And the reason why it has a very special place in my heart and why I'm mentioning this in this list is because it is the single best cinematic experience I've ever had with my dad. Okay. Not period, but with with my dad. (laughs) Um, I particularly remember that when this movie came out, um, me and my dad were going through kind of a rough moment, I guess. You know, hey, I was a teenager. I was like, you know, he was worried about me. I was very indecisive and, you know, very scared about the future, I guess, about the fact that I was about to graduate and I had no idea what I was going to do. And I was trying this film thing, but I didn't know if I was going to be successful. My dad was very worried about me. There was a lot of tension in our relationship at that moment. Um, You know, we fought a couple of times. You know, things that happen with teenagers, what can I say? Um, And the point is, then... Green Book came out, and I know my dad. I know his movie taste. You know, he doesn't like sci-fi. He doesn't like fantasy. But, you know, give him a movie that says based on a real-life story at the beginning, <laughs> and he'll fucking love that. <laughs> so as soon as Green Book came out, and I, I, I had heard the buzz, I, has heur- I had heard the Oscar buzz, I was like, hey, dad, let's go watch it. 
and I'm not kidding, it it genuinely was the best cinematic experiences I've ever had with him. We both laughed so much. We went to the premiere night in Colombia. Everyone was laughing. The whole theater was laughing. My dad has like one of the funniest, silliest laughs you'll ever hear. He laughs like a donkey, okay? So he's one of those who does like the... Ah, ah. Like that's, oh, sorry, sorry for everyone who's listening, but that's my dad laughing. So then the movie would be hilarious. That would make my dad laugh. Everyone would laugh at the movie. And then those who didn't laugh at the movie would laugh at my father's laughter. So then it just became like this vicious cycle where everyone was laughing. Yeah. Incredible experience. Incredible movie. The film won Best Picture. I, we connected as father and son. I love Green Book. Incredibly well-deserved. That Best Picture win. I adore that film. I adore that experience. It meant so much to me. And that's why I'm listing it here. Now, <laughs> the, the next movie I want to talk about is... Um, so actually, at, at this at this point, I also, you know, once again, I was going to get into film. And my parents were like, hey, you know what? If you're getting into film, I, I remember mentioning them like, hey, there's a film festival happening here in Colombia, like in, in a beach city called Cartagena. Uh, can I go? And I remember my parents were like, you know what? If you're getting into film, go ahead, do it. Uh, also, uh, a cousin, you know, a twice, re- uh, it's something, you know, my family's huge. As, as I established in my previous episode, my grandma has 11 brothers and sisters, okay? I just call all of them cousins if they're around my age and aunts or uncle if they are around right. my parents' right. age. That, that's how it works, okay? <laughs> okay? So then one of my cousins, um, she was actually one of the people hosting, like, the film festival. And she was, like, interviewing uh, oh, wow. th- some of the people that were talking in the film festival. So she got me and my grandma, who I love so much, and my grandma, also huge movie fan. So then uh, she got me and my grandma, like, like tickets, like this this very cool badges that would allow us to go into any movie we wanted and any talk we wanted. And we could see it, like, in the VIP area of the film festival. So then me and my grandma traveled to the city, and we just watched so many movies. We had a blast. Uh... That's the film festival where I met Ethan Cohen, uh, one of the Cohen brothers, one of the directors of The Big Lebowski, No Country for Old Men, Fargo. Do you know anything that I'm talking about, Lily? I recognize the name. <laughs> I'm glad you do. Uh, yeah, I met one of the Cohen brothers. I was wearing my Big Lebowski shirt. I took a picture with him, actually. Haha. Oh you know, I'm so cool. I know, Lily. I'm so cool. <laughs> um and I, I that, that's also the film festival where I met uh, Michael Shannon, um, you know, the guy who played General Zod in Man of Steel. And, you know, he also acted as a bad guy in The Shape of Water, another movie from Guillermo del Toro, which, as we've established, I freaking adore Guillermo del Toro. Um, so, 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 yeah, you know, I, 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 great film festival. But then also in that film festival, because it was a Colombian film festival, they screened a bunch of Colombian films, you know, famous Colombian films. And at this point in my life, I was very dismissive towards Colombian cinema. I was like, oh, you know, Hollywood, that's where it's at. You know, the the movies in English, Colombian cinema sucks. You know, I, I was, you know, I had a misguided perspective, I guess. Um, and it was at this film festival when I watched a Colombian movie um, written and directed by a Colombian director called Victor Gaviria. Uh, the film is called The Rose Seller, La Vendedora de Rosas. Um, and that film really impacted me and it really made me see like I was wrong you know Colombian cinema can be freaking great and it really impressed me that you know even though I was like this is the same film festival where I heard one of the Coen brothers talk this is the same film festival where I heard Michael Shannon talk that said my favorite conversation or my, my favorite speech that I heard in the whole film festival 
was from this Colombian director talking about all the incredible experiences he lived through while making this film. And yeah, that just made me appreciate my national cinema a lot more. Um, great movie, uh, Rose Seller. Um, a bit hard to watch, very sad, you know. It's it's one of those films that really shows, like, you know, the, the reality of a big portion of the population in Colombia, I guess. So it, it is sad, but it's fascinating film. The point is, <laughs> after that, the last two movies that I have to mention in this section of cinematic experiences that I will never forget, part two, are, of course, how could I not mention them? This two films, I would genuinely say, are the two greatest cinematic experiences I've ever had. Not just with one person in particular, not just in one, no, these are the best cinematic experiences I've had. Do you want to guess what those are, Lily? I don't even know. I have no clue. Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. Oh my oh god. my god. <laughs> Listen, Lily. The hype was real, okay? After 23 movies, after 23 MCU movies building up to this huge finale, you know, as I established in the previous episodes, I got into the MCU back in 2008 with the first Iron Man movie. I watched the first Avengers movies, you know, Captain America and the Winter Soldier and Captain America Civil War made me realize that the world is not black and white. I, I was such a big fan of this franchise. And then, after so long, after so many years, finally, the big conclusion to the Infinity Saga. Finally, Thanos was going to come to Earth and the Avengers were going to have to fight him. And I was so hyped. My friends were so hyped. Everyone I knew was so excited. I made my mom watch the films. I made my sister watch the films. My dad never liked them. But I made <laughs> so many people watch the films. And I, it, I'm not kidding. The hype was insane. Then Avengers Infinity War was coming out. We bought tickets. Open, you know, the, the first screening we could find in my hometown of Cali. I remember it was like right after school. I think we skipped the last two periods of school. We left school. We were we, we wouldn't be allowed to do that, but you know, we did it anyway. So don't tell my school, I guess. But <laughs> we skipped the last two periods of school. We left. We went to the theater. We watched Avengers Infinity War. And then, oh my God, when the movie ended and Thanos snapped and half the universe disappeared and half the Avengers died, oh my God. You could literally hear people in my theater crying. And, dude, towards the end, when, like, the Avengers started disappearing, like, one by one, you could yeah. just hear everyone, no, 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 <laughs> no, no. Like, different parts of the theater, everyone like, no, no, no. And, oh. It was amazing. It was so, so freaking good. And once again, loved Marvel. Huge Marvel fan. But until now, you know, always the villains lose at the end of a Marvel film. And this was the first time ever when Thanos wins. Thanos wins by the end of Infinity War. Spoiler. The, <laughs> Lily, if you haven't seen Infinity War, this is your fault, okay? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the point is, even though the Avengers tried to stop him, he, he wins. He collects the Infinity Stones, he snaps, and half no. the universe disappears. Oh my God. And me and all my friends were shocked. Like, freaking shocked. Hey, you want to know how big this cinematic experience was? The whole theater was sold out. Not a single seat. Op Even my English professors came with me to watch the movie, okay? Our teachers from high school also played Buki and Hookie. What's the word? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they played Hookie. They skipped the last two periods and they came to watch the movie with us. It was a huge, huge thing. 
I remember one of my professors wasn't able to watch the film in the opening screening with us. He had a sign in his class the next day that was like, if you spoil Infinity War, <laughs> you're getting like 10% off of your final grade. Oh my gosh. It was, oh, dude, incredible, incredible. And then after Infinity War, we were like, oh my God, we can't wait for Endgame. What's going to happen? They need to fight Thanos again. Oh my God, that's going to be incredible. And then Endgame was coming out. We bought the tickets. But this time, the first screening we could find. So movies usually come out on Thursdays for for freaking for, for Avengers Endgame. There was a screening on no 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 in Colombia movie <laughs> sorry in Colombia big movies usually come out on Wednesdays okay okay for Avengers Endgame there was one screening at midnight on Tuesday and oh. me and all my friends were like we gotta do this we gotta do it we bought tickets for the midnight screening it got it filled up so so quickly yeah and this was while the IB was going on okay so we were sleep deprived students who were like had like so much homework so many essays we had so much stuff to do we slept like four hours every night and we were like we don't care we're gonna watch Avengers Endgame the movie lasted three hours we went into the theater at 12 (laughs) at midnight we left it at 3 a.m but I don't regret it the slightest bit okay Lily dude there were people dressed up as the different Avengers Did characters. You dress up? No, I had my Marvel shirt. I, me and all my friends had our. We didn't dress up. I know we're kind of lame, but uh, I had my Marvel shirt. We all had our Marvel shirts. It was it was such an incredible experience. Then the movie began, dude. I will never forget. Once again, I'm spoiling Endgame. I guess if you're one of the three people who haven't seen Endgame, no, well, I guess, I guess Lily's one of those three people. So if you're one of the other two people who haven't seen <laughs> Endgame, um, dude, dude. When Captain America grabs Thor's hammer, Mjolnir, and starts using it to fight Thanos in the third act, dude, my theater lost it. I don't think I've ever heard such a huge, like, round of applause. Like, everyone was clapping and cheering, and people were standing up. And then when the portals appeared, and all the Avengers who died in the previous film showed up for the final fight, dude, come on, come on. Like, we lost it. We, we all freaking lost it and that is why avengers endgame will forever be the single greatest cinematic experience i ever had and then the day the day after you know as as i said in the previous moment when lily said i was flexing but i'm actually not flexing i'm just giving you pretext okay um uh as i previously mentioned i was uh head boy so you know i was the one planning like all the different events that were happening in high school in, in, in my school and the day after avengers endgame was like a big football match in between like my school's football team and then another school's football team. I was meant to give like a speech before the game began. I slept like three hours that night because yeah, of yeah. Avengers Endgame. I, I I don't even remember what I said in that speech, but <laughs> I just remember being so happy. You were just like because... quoting the movie. Like, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you were so sleep depressed. I love you 3000. Yeah. <laughs> Perfectly balanced like all things should be. Um, such an incredible movie. Lily, you don't, you don't, so good. you'll, you'll never, you'll never know what it feels like, Lily. You, you miss the train. You miss the Avengers hype train. That's horrible. That is horrible. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure you beat yourself up every single night for not getting on that hype train on time. Yeah, I do. <laughs> the point is, <laughs> uh, moving on, um, the next chapter, and you know, this is almost over. The episode is uh, nearing to an end. So we're getting closer to the moment that I'm leaving right now. So the next chapter is called Leaving the Nest. Or, you know, yeah, well, leaving the nest, you know, leaving Colombia and, you know, coming to a university in an international place, you know, coming to Canada, coming to UBC 
Uh, but I am particularly talking about like those months, like after the IB, but before I came to Canada, because the IB ended in like April, and then I came to Canada in like September, right. and there were like those five, four months in between where I just was in such a liminal space for the first time in so long. I had no responsibilities. I had no essays. The extended essay was done. The IB was done. But then at the same time, there was also this very scary, exciting new chapter of my life that was about to begin. And I was feeling very, very nervous. And in this period of my life, I watched a couple of films that really had an impact on myself. The first film that I want to talk about is Boyhood. Have you watched Boyhood, Lily? I did. Yeah, Boyhood is directed by Richard Linklater, who is the same guy who directed the Before movies, Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and Before Midnight. And for those of you who don't know, Boyhood is a movie that was filmed throughout 14 years. Like, he literally found these kids, he found these actors, and, you know, he they, they signed an agreement that they would be filmed throughout 14 years. So in this movie, throughout the, you know, two hours and 40 minutes that, is, that it lasts, I think, you see all of these characters grow up and... You know, the movie begins with all of these characters being children and being into Harry Potter and being very young and innocent. And the final shot of the film is the main kid going off to university. And when I saw that in that period of my life, it just crushed me. I watched it with my mother and we were both in tears afterwards because, you know, I had just been through all of that. Yeah. And we were just seeing another kid go through it like in front of our eyes in re- in real time and sped up time and there were some weird similarities in between the kid in the film and myself once again he was very much into harry potter and uh, when i saw that i was like oh my god this is hitting me in the feels and then it just it just one of those movies that i watched in just the right time and it really made me realize like damn i've come very far but i still got ways to go and it's exciting and it's scary and yeah, that's a movie that really had an impact with me. Similarly, another movie that really impacted me was Lady Bird. You know, I also watched Lady Bird in this moment of my life. And, you know, for those of you who haven't watched Lady Bird, you know, it's it's a story about a girl who is also graduating from high school and is about to start her new chapter in university. It's also about, you know, feeling kind of lost and feeling aimless and not really knowing what to do with your life and not really knowing what to expect and feeling nervous and trying to figure out who you want to be. And, you know, I felt all of those things at that time. So watching Lady Bird really hit me. Um, Another film that really resonated with me for some of the same reasons is The Graduate. You know, as the title implies, the main character of The... Have you seen The Graduate, by the way, Lily? No. Uh, um, The Graduate is... Oh, I lost the list. Okay, yes. The Graduate is... I I love The Graduate. This was a movie that came out in 1967, and it stars Dustin Hoffman as the main character. I love The Graduate. It's a truly, truly an incredible film. And yeah, this movie is about a guy who, once again, graduates from high school and is also feeling very lost and very aimless and is feeling like he doesn't really know what to do with his life or... You know, he's scared to try to do something with his life because he's scared that it's not going to work. And I I felt that, oh boy, did I feel that. <laughs> of course, you know, in The Graduate, there's also this romantic subplot where he falls in love with an older woman. That that didn't happen with my life. <laughs> I didn't connect with that part of The Graduate, but uh, everything else I, I, I very much did connect with. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, just a just little... Just to clarify. Yes. Okay. <laughs> just to clarify... Didn't fall in love with an older woman. That didn't happen. <laughs> um, 
And then the last film that I want to talk about in this section uh, is Francis Ha, another film from a director that we've mentioned oh so many times in the real world, Noah Baumbach, <laughs> uh, director of Marriage Story and <laughs> White Noise. <laughs> uh, have you seen Francis Ha, Lily? I didn't finish it, actually. You didn't finish it. Wow, how dare you? Um, well, I don't blame you, actually, because Francis Ha... Yeah, I, I, I get it. I know. It's not a horror movie. But goddamn, it's one of the scariest films I've ever watched in my life. I remember feeling so anxious mm. and so, so freaking scared because of the main reason that the protagonist in Francis Ha is, you know a very creative, expressive, energetic woman who is trying her best to succeed as an artist and just despite her best efforts, you know, she just keeps failing and things don't go her way. And watching that in this moment in my life, when I was about to go to a new city where I... City? What am I saying? Yeah, when, when I was about to go to a new city and I, I where I knew no one, you know, I knew no one in Vancouver... And I was also trying to get into the arts. I was also trying to become an artist. And seeing this woman trying her best and yet failing and failing over and over and over again, despite her best efforts, it just it just filled me with dread. And it made me very scared. And it made me second guess myself. It made me think, hey, you know, it's not too late. Am I sure I want to do this? Oh, God. Am I sure I want to take this plunge? And, and I did. And I'm glad I did. I'm yeah, very happy yeah. I did. But, um. And then after that, I came here to Vancouver. And now we're moving How's on. How's it going now? I, th- it's, I don't want to jinx it, but it's good. So far, it's good. Okay. So far, so good. Good to know. Um, and now, you know, we are starting the final chapter of my life, which is called UBC, I guess. Um, and I'll, I'll start, yeah, you know, I'll start from the beginning. UBC year one. You know, some of the films that really impacted me in my first year of university Uh, The first one that I will mention is Halloween, the original 1978 Halloween. Um, As I established in the previous episode, I don't know if I said this in this episode, I used to be terrified by horror movies. I used to hate them. (laughs) Oh, kind of like you, Lily. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I used to be deathly afraid of these movies. I would never watch them. I would never even hear... When my my friends would talk about them, I would just leave the room because I didn't want to have nightmares. You know, I got scared so, so easily. And then when I got here into university, you know, I was taking a bunch of film production classes because, you know, at the time I wanted to get into film production, not film studies. Um, And I was also taking some, a few film studies classes. One of those was FIST 100, Film Studies 100, which if you guys are, you know, uh, UBC students, you might know what I'm talking about. But for me, FIST 100 is generally one of the best classes I've ever taken. It really impacted me. And this was a class where we were getting introduced into how to analyze film, how to think about film, how to write about film. And, you know, it this, you know, taking this class, taking Fist 100, I know this is going to sound so freaking cringy, but I, I felt like Neo at the end of the Matrix were like, you know, we're like, we're like, he can see into the Matrix and he can see the world. You're listening Whoa, to what is happening? CADR 101.9 FM, broadcasting from UBC. Okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> the, point, the point is, uh, um, you know, yeah, I, I felt like I could see into the Matrix. And I was like, oh, my God, I, I get films now. You know, like, the films are so much more complex than I ever thought about. You know, they reflect the times and societies in which they were made. Uh, they reflect, so, you know, social anxieties. They can do so, so many things. And the unit that really impacted me out of all the ones that we saw in this class was the unit on horror. 
which I was very scared about because I can't stress this enough. I was terrified of horror movies. And for this unit, we had to watch 1978's, uh, the original John Carpenter's Halloween. And I watched it and I was terrified by it. And I was like, oh, I hate this. I hate horror. <laughs> but then I, we went to the class. We, we, we heard Christine Evans, one of the best professors I've had here at UBC. We heard her talk about horror movies and how the monsters in these horror movies are simple reflections of the fears and anxieties that the American people had at the time when these movies got made. And it just, it made me look at horror movies not as these evil things that were trying to scare me, but as this incredible, fascinating societal artifacts that can tell us so much about ourselves and about our fears. And that really did it for me. I think after that, my fear for horror movies just started disappearing and I started getting more and more into horror movies to the point where, hey, now I love them. Now, now I love everything. Um, but um, but yeah, so Halloween, big impact in my life. Um, and then the other two films that really had an impact in my first year of uni were are related to VIF. So when I got here to Vancouver, I was very excited. I was a very excited, young, uh, 19, 18, 19-year-old 19 Juan. Um and I remember a friend of mine told me, like, hey, there's this thing happening in a couple of months called the Vancouver International Film Festival. You know, you should go. And I was like, oh, my God, this sounds amazing. And I bought so many tickets, so, so many tickets. Um, and I went to it. It was incredible, incredible. But the two of the movies that I was, okay, no. One movie that I was very excited about was this little Korean film that, like, barely anyone had heard about called Parasite. And bad that by that point... No one even knew what the movie was about. All I knew was the title, Parasite, and I knew that it was directed by Bong Joon-ho, who is a director that I very much admire. I loved Snowpiercer. I loved Memories of Murder. So I was very excited for Parasite, but I had no idea what it was about. I also knew it had, like, won something at Cannes. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to watch it. I bought tickets for the first screening of Parasite at the Vancouver International Film Festival, which was also the opening night screening for the entire festival. Um, and, yeah, this was... Another one of those great cinematic experiences that I will never forget. You know, watching a movie for the first time in a film festival with a crowd full of people who are just as excited to watch the movies you're watching. Everyone is clapping. Everyone is laughing. Everyone is super, super excited. We gave the film a standing ovation towards the end. And once again, I can't stress this enough. I came into this movie knowing nothing about it. I honestly went into it thinking it was going to be a sci-fi. Like, you know, with the title Parasite, I was like, oh, this is going to be like some alien parasite invasion thing, you know, kind of like the host. But then it ended up not being that. And I was so surprised and so shocked. And I, I love Parasite. I think it's a masterpiece, one of the best movies I've ever seen. And that cinematic experience is one I'll never forget. Um, have you you've watched Parasite, right? Wow! Wow! Okay, I'll I'll stop asking that question. Sorry, Lily. <laughs> you only ask it on the ones I haven't seen, so Sorry. I don't actually move I, on. I apologize. Um, the point is, uh, you know, I was enjoying the film festival so so much, and then I remember one of my friends. Um, she told me like, "Hey, I have an extra ticket for this random Netflix movie that is coming out. It's called Marriage Story." You know. Um, my friend can't come with me anymore. Do you want to come? Like, do you, do you want to take her extra ticket? And at first I was like, do I really want to watch a Netflix movie called Marriage Story? Like, I don't know. It sounded boring. It sounded sappy. I, I you know, Netflix movies weren't that great, I guess. Mm. Uh, but then at the end of the day, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll, I'll go. I'll, I, you know, I'll go. It's a free ticket. I'll go watch it. And I went to watch Marriage Story. 
And goddamn, <laughs> goddamn, I love this movie. And this, once again, just like Parasite, this are one of this is one of the cool things of watching movies and film festivals. You know nothing about this movies when you're going into them. And going into Marriage Story, I thought this movie was gonna be the story of a marriage. I thought it was going to be a sappy, beautiful love story about two people falling in love and getting married and having fun and like being very wholesome and cute. But no, it's a story of how the marriage gets destroyed. And it's a story of a divorce, basically. It's a story of two people who used to love each other drifting apart. And oh my god, I cried so much watching Marriage Story. I loved it so much. And this was another experience that really stuck with me. I won't even ask if you've watched it, but I hope you have. Okay. <laughs> now, uh, moving on. Um, then my second year of university happened. And um, something happened in the second year of university. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if you've heard of it. It was like this. There was like this little, small, like small scale event that happened that it was, it it wasn't like too big. Like, you know, people barely talked about it. You know, it's called like the pandemic, like, you know, the 2020 pandemic, like, you know, the coronavirus, that sort of stuff. You know, it's pretty indie. Like not many people know about (laughs) it. Um, Okay. Well, the point is that happened. Okay. Uh, I was shocked. I was scared. I had no idea what was going on. Uh, as I'm sure most people were, uh, classes went online, uh, like freaking international bound, like yeah, international boundaries started shutting down. Me and my family had to buy plane tickets for me to go to Colombia, like impromptu, because you know the boundaries were closing. I managed to get to Colombia, then everyone was wearing face masks, and it was like insane. We were like living like this weird apocalyptic thing. No one knew what the fuck was happening. Uh, my parents went to the farm because that's where my dad worked. So he, my sister, and my mom, they all went to the farm. I stayed in the house because I needed Wi-Fi to finish university. I was living by myself for like the first two months of the pandemic in my house. That was my first time cooking. Okay. Uh, yeah, now, now I'm a whole chef, you know, and not to brag, but you know, I'm, I'm pretty good right now. Uh, thank you, HelloFresh. Please sponsor <laughs> us. Please sponsor the real world, HelloFresh. Um, you know, hey, the, the point is, uh, the pandemic happened and theaters shut down. Movies started getting postponed. I, As we've established, movies are one of the main sources of joy for me so when theaters started shutting down and when movies started getting postponed i got so sad but then you know i started looking on the bright side and i was like okay i should use this opportunity to catch up on films that i still need to watch and as i mentioned all the way back a week ago when i started this episode of the movies that shaped me I mentioned the imdb's top 250 which is right when i was getting into film i found this list of the top 250 best movies ever made according to imdb um and i started going down the list when the pandemic started i I still had like 50 more that i needed to watch and i was like hey perfect timing let's go through this and i started going down the list i started watching more and more films from the imdb top 250 um and there is one in particular that i would like to highlight Ooh, sorry, <laughs> I don't know what happened with my voice there, but uh, it's an um, emotional one. Yeah, no, it's, it's the point is there was like this Argentinian film called okay. uh, Relatos Salvajes, Wild Tales, that I had seen in the IMDb top two fifty, but I always ignored because I was like, ah, you know. Even though I was like kind of appreciating Latino movies, thanks to the Rose Cellar and my experience in the Colombian Film Festival, I was still like, ah, you know, it's, it's probably not gonna be good because you know, it's, it's, you know, it's not gonna be as good as the others. But then when the pandemic happened, I was like, yeah, you know what? Fine, I'll check it out. 
I watched Wild Tales and oh my god, I fucking adore this movie. I love it so much. Uh, you know, you follow me on Letterboxd, Lily. I, by the way, you can follow me on Letterboxd under Juan Pablo Sa. <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, on Letterboxd, Wild Tales is currently one of my top four movies, you know, in, in, of my profile. You know, there's uh, the Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, The Shawshank Redemption, Pan's Labyrinth, and then Wild Tales, this weird Argentinian film. Um, yeah, I watched it all alone uh, in my house, living through the pandemic, cooking for myself, you know. It was a weird freaking experience. Everyone was scared of going outside. And I watched this weird Argentinian film, this dark comedy that gets so dark and so bloody and so gruesome and so nasty and disgusting in the best ways possible. I fucking love Wild Tales. If you haven't seen Wild Tales and you and you like dark comedy, definitely check it out. It's an incredible, incredible film. Uh, and that movie really marked the pandemic because right after I watched it, uh, you know, we had like this weekly uh, Skype calls, you know, but back in the day it was Skype, not Zoom. But, uh, you know, <laughs> we had this weekly Skype calls with all my friends where we were like, Aww. because even though we were all in the same city, we were all uh, yeah, trapped, yeah, you know, because yeah. of the pandemic. And I remember being like, oh, my God, guys, you, you have to watch Wild Tales. And I, I remember I, I started spreading, like, the wave of Wild Tales. And then everyone I knew started watching the film and all my friends. And they were all like, oh, my God, Juan, this is incredible. Whoa. So, yeah, th- that, that movie meant the pandemic for me to some extent. <laughs> um, it, it's great, great film. Uh, it kept me and my friends and my family members entertained throughout the pandemic, I guess. Um, and then another movie that was huge during the pandemic was Zack Snyder's Justice League. Hell yeah. This is not the first time that I've mentioned Zack Snyder in this episode. <laughs> Are you surprised, Lily? Mm, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm a big Zack Snyder fan. What can I say? I I, I like his movies. I love his visual styles. Uh, yeah, I'm a fan. We're, hey, you know, come at me. What the hell? Uh, hey, that was a Lily. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not coming at you. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, the point is I'm a big Zack Snyder fan, and I remember being very excited for his version of Justice League. Then, you know, for horrible reasons that you guys can find out if you Google it, you know, um, Zack Snyder had to leave the project. He had to leave Justice League halfway through. They brought in a different director who basically redid the film. And then the Justice League that came out in 2017 sucked. It was terrible, and it was nothing you know, it was nothing at all what Zack Snyder's initial vision was meant to be like. Then from that year onwards, people started campaigning, hashtag release the Snyder cut, as in hashtag, you know, make the actual film, let Zack Snyder make his vision. And then in 2020, in the middle of the pandemic, they announced that it was finally happening and it was coming out for HBO Max. And then in 2021, in March 2021, it finally came out. And by then, the pandemic was kind of dying down. So me and my friends all got together. You know, we were very safe, of course. We made sure none of us had the corona. Uh, and then we watched Zack Snyder's Justice League. And that was, you know, after living through a pandemic where everyone was so apart and, you know, everyone was by themselves and there was barely any contact and barely any plans with friends, this Zack Snyder's Justice League was like the the, the glowing beacon of, of fun that I had during the pandemic of all of my friends coming together and watching this film. And it was incredible. I love Zack Snyder's Justice League. Um, and then, you know, the last film that I want to talk about... No, no, not the last film. No, <laughs> scrap that. Other, other films that I want to talk about uh, in the pandemic um, are... Yeah, okay. I guess I was going down the list of IMDb's Top 250... 
until I finally reached the final one, the the last film that I was missing to finish IMDb's top right. 50. And this film was a weird Japanese animated film. It was an anime called Evangelion: The End of Evangelion, and I was going to watch it, then I realized that I needed to watch a whole show before being able to watch that movie, and I was so pissed, but then I was like, "You know what? I'm going to finish this list, so I need to watch this freaking show." That was my first time ever watching an anime. <laughs> it's very weird. Hey, now I like it. Now now I'm kind of an anime fan, but but back in the day it was very weird. And then I eventually watched the movie and yeah, this film was incredible. It 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 it's it's also one that I very much remember from the pandemic. Um now the last film from the pandemic that I want to talk about is The Sound of Metal. Sound of Metal, which is one of the movies that got Oscar nominated during the pandemic. Riz Ahmed acts as the main character. It basically tells the story of this drummer who plays like heavy metal music and then one day suddenly he goes deaf. And then he realizes that his whole life has changed and there's nothing he can do about it. You know, his whole life was dedicated to being a drummer for a heavy metal band and then up, out of the blue he's unable to hear and he needs to deal with that. And that movie really resonated with me for the reason that it was during the pandemic when okay, during the pandemic was my second year of university. Throughout my first and second year of university, I desperately tried to get into film production here at UBC. I made short films, I applied, I tried so hard, I got waitlisted like two times. I I never made it in. And then during the pandemic, I I I made my final film, you know, I filmed shot it in the farm with the chickens and I I really tried my best and I went all in and I was like, okay, this one I'm finally going to get in. This is the one. And I didn't even get waitlisted. I just got straight out denied. And that was very sad. That was very disappointing because, you know, as I've said, I want to make films. That is the end goal. So then not getting into filmmaking at UBC was something that really made me question, did I make the right choice? Do I suck at making films? Should I have gone for something else? You know, what if I did all of this and then it turns out I'm just not good enough? Um and then you know i ended up having to pivot to film studies and i applied to film studies and i made it into film studies and i love film studies incredible freaking incredible i adore those classes uh but you know of course i'm not comparing myself to what the main guy of sound of metal lived through you know i'm i'm not comparing not getting into film production to going deaf uh but what i'm saying is you know in that film a character had to you know something shitty happened you know something that he wasn't expecting happened that kind of changed his life for the moment and he just needed to learn to adapt and live with that thing and you know realize that life moves on and you know what can you do about that and i watched that film and i remember after watching that film i was like you know what maybe it's for the better maybe i'll get into film studies and maybe that is going to be my own way my own path to getting into the film industry and fingers crossed let's fucking hope it works <laughs> I still don't know. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> In four years, we'll make the movies that shaped me part three, and I'll give you guys an update. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then okay, the pandemic ended. We came back to UBC. Uh, classes started once again, year three. Um, this is we're talking twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two. And then there were three films that I that I that really really had an impact on me in this year. Uh, the first film was Dune. Dune was a movie that I had been. so excited once again directed by Denis Villeneuve the same director of Blade Runner 2049 the film that I watched the day before my eye surgery uh <laughs> and Dune is based on one of the most famous science fiction books of all time uh which i remember when the pandemic started Dune was meant to come out like in October 2020 
So as soon as the pandemic started, I was like, okay, this is perfect. This is giving me enough time to read all the Dune books. And, you know, I'm going to become an expert. And then when the movie comes out, I'm going to be able to say like, yeah, that's uh, that's not like the books. You know, I've read the books. <laughs> I, I know what's up. Uh, and I did. I read the first four books in the Dune series. I love those books. I adore that world. Once again, incredible world building, incredible science fiction. Then Dune got delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed due to the pandemic. And then when classes started once again, and I came back here to Vancouver, I remember Dune was playing in Toronto at the Toronto International Film Festival. Yeah, you lucky, you <laughs> lucky girl. Did you go watch it? No. Wow, wow. You didn't take advantage of the opportunities that were put in your way. The point is, I was like, fuck it, I'm watching this film. And I got together with some of my friends and we were like, okay, we're going to Toronto. We're going to the Toronto <laughs> Film Festival. We're watching Dune. And we did. We went to Toronto. Um... But but then, after we bought all the tickets and after we booked, like, the hotel and we did all of that stuff, then we realized, oh, there is a chance we might not get Dune tickets. <laughs> because Dune was, like, the hot ticket at the festival. Everyone wanted to buy Dune. Yeah. So we got tickets for, like, all the other films. Uh, uh, um, uh, Power of the Dog, uh, Last Night in Soho, um, uh, Titan. We got tickets for so many cool films but not for Dune. And I was so stressed because I needed to watch Dune. I wanted to watch Dune. Uh, they said that maybe in person, they, there might be some in-person tickets. I went to the ticket booth in person, all sold out, no tickets available. I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? The point is to make a long story short, Saturday when the Dune screening was happening, I went to the theater, the place where the screening was happening. And <laughs> I remember begging people who were coming in, asking them like, hello, sir, by any chance, do you have an extra ticket? Uh, would you mind, if you have an extra ticket, would you mind selling it to me? And it was, I was so ashamed <laughs> and people were looking at me with such a face. Some people would laugh at me and I was so stressed because I needed to watch Dune. Then like this other two kids arrived with like a huge sign selling buying dune tickets and i was like oh my god that's my competition i need to beat them no and then and then we were both me and the kids we were all asking for <laughs> tickets and i was like you guys are going down i'm getting the tickets and then i was like getting desperate 15 minutes before the movie began i was yeah. like i need to do something and then my thought was like okay i'm gonna walk all the way into the theater and i'm gonna try to you know use my uh, natural colombian charm you know to talk to one of the tiff employees and see if for any reason they can let me in i know i know not my not my smartest choice but i did that and i went in of course it didn't work um but then when i come out the guys with the poster were coming in with two tickets no so then during the time when i was going in and trying my final resort someone came and sold them dune tickets and i was so furious so freaking furious and then while this was happening i could see like 10 meters away from me uh, uh, Rebecca Ferguson, Denis Villeneuve, all the actors from Dune were like there doing the red carpet. I was like 10 meters away from them. They were about to go into the theater to introduce the film and to start watching the movie. And I was like, I, I can't give up. I need this tickets. I need to watch this film. I went to uh, the, the freaking uh, parking lot to see if, like, maybe someone else is coming. And I was like, oh, please, the tickets, the tickets. Nothing happened. It's like five minutes before the movie began. And I was like, okay, Juan. I need to give up. And then I went back up the stairs to the doors of the theater. And then everyone at the doors were like so hyped and so excited. And I was like, what happened? What did I miss? Well, turns out during those five minutes when I went to the parking lot for my last Hail Mary, freaking Edgar Wright 
director of Shaun of the Dead, uh, Hot Fuzz, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and Last Night in Soho, had, like, walked in, talked with everyone for, like, five minutes, and then walked into the movie. So I missed Dune. Oh, my god! I missed the screening. I missed the tickets. And I missed meeting Edgar Wright. <laughs> Uh, but the point is, I this you is know, the worst day of your life. It, uh, but you know, you know, it it, it it happens. You know, shit happens, Lily. The point is, my expectations only kept growing and growing, and I was like, okay, they kept delaying this film because of the pandemic. Then I wasn't able to watch it at TIFF, and then it finally came out in October twenty first, my sister's birthday, by the way. I still remember that day. I pre bought tickets. I went to watch it. You know, the, the big return to university, October twenty first, twenty twenty one. And goddamn, I loved doing part one. And once again, if you guys remember another episode that Lily and I did, uh, you know, a couple of months ago, we talked about our most anticipated movies of this year, 2023. And my number one movie is Dune Part Two. Uh, so yeah, that's that's why huge okay. Dune fan. Now I feel like I know. I love the first Dune movie. <laughs> now, another movie that I want to mention from my third year of uni was Disney's Encanto. And, um, you know, Disney's Encanto. Have you seen Disney's Encanto, Lily? Okay, yeah, good, good. I'm glad you have. We don't talk about Bruno. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Disney's Encanto, for those of you who don't know, is set in Colombia. Is set in my country. And, you know, even though it's not one of my favorite Disney movies, it's not like one of those... It's not like The Lion King that I'm like, oh, that's one of the greatest animated films I've ever seen. Encanto still meant a lot to me because of the fact that I think it was the first time in my life that I had seen a depiction of Colombia where there were... No drugs, no drug dealers, no Pablo Escobar, no violence, no no gangs. It was just Colombia. And it made me very happy to see that so many people around the world would be exposed to my country, not through the lens of narcos, not through the lens of Pablo Escobar, but through the lens of Disney, which is a, a pretty beautiful lens. And I love the film. It, it meant a lot to me. As a Colombian, seeing that movie, especially being away from home, you know, in the pandemic, I went back to my home, but then, you know, after the pandemic, I came back here, right. I was away from home, and then being away from home, hearing to the Colombian music, seeing the Colombian animals, seeing the Colombian food, the Colombian names, it, it just it just meant a lot, and it made me very, very happy. Um, now, the last film I want to talk about for year three of UBC is The Worst Person in the World. This was a movie that I watched in 2021's um, Vancouver International Film Festival. Uh, it was my one of my two favorite movies of 2021, along with Dune. And this movie is all about a woman who, once again, I'm noticing a pattern in some of the movies that have impacted my life. But this is a story about a woman who feels very lost and feels like she doesn't really know what to do with her life and what the right course is and what the right road to follow is. And, you know, even at this moment when I'm talking right now, I still kind of feel that way. I still kind of feel like I'm graduating in two months and I still don't know what the hell is going to happen with me. And I don't know if I'm doing what I need to do or if I should be doing something else. And sometimes I also feel like the worst person in the world and like I could be doing so much more. But, you know, that's just part of it. And that's, you know, that's a big conclusion of this film that, you know, that's just life and this movie really resonated with me, and it still resonates with me to this day. Now, this is coming to an end. The last chapter of the story of my life told through film is my fourth year of university. And, you know, there are three films that I want to talk about. Of course, in this fourth year of university, I started doing 
all of this radio stuff. By the way, I, I don't know if you knew, but I, I started talking the radio. That's that's why I'm talking the radio right now. Um, you know, and I started hosting the real world for the UBC Film Society. But I also tried, you know, it's kind of paused right now, but I tried creating my own radio show, not related to the UBC Film Society and, and my own YouTube channel called Take Juan. Um And that was an incredible experience and I learned a lot and it was a lot of work and it was hard and it was tough, but it was such a gratifying experience. And then I think a film that I really want to highlight was Elvis, the, because that was the first film where I got invited to a press screening. And I remember feeling so happy, <laughs> feeling so excited Because, oh my God, Warner Bros. just sent me an email saying that they want to invite me to a free press screening like two weeks before the movie came out for anyone else. It was a screening at like 10 a.m. in the morning at Scotiabank Theater. I was so sleep deprived. I had like a coffee because I, I just needed to focus. But I was so hyped. I was so excited. I loved the movie. And in fact, that was the first uh, YouTube video I did for Take One. It was my Elvis movie review. It is all thanks to this press screening and this film will forever have a special place in my heart because of that. Aww. It was the, the first time that, yeah, I got invited to a press screening. And the next movie I want to talk about was Bones of Crows, which is a Canadian film directed by Marie Clements. And so my first year of uni, I loved VIF. I attended VIF. Second year of uni, I was in Colombia. I couldn't attend VIF. Third year of uni, I attended VIF. Incredible, incredible experience. Fourth year of uni, I covered VIF as a member of the press. And yeah, that, that wow. does, that, yeah, what can I say? Lily, I'm very cool. What can I say? You know, <laughs> I know how I, this sounds like I'm. No, <laughs> I'm saying, wow, what a way to end the story. Um, thank you. Thank you. So, so yeah, you know, uh, for my fourth year of uni, I covered VIF as a member of the press. Yeah. Um, and, and, and yeah, Bones of Crows was the movie that opened the Vancouver International Film Festival We went to the red carpet. I was all dressed up in like my <laughs> fancy clothes. We, I interviewed the director at the red carpet. It was a great, great experience. Um, that film really had an impact in me. But now, the last film, you know, it, it's, it, it gets kind of tough when it gets close to the moment we're living right now because, you know, how do I know if a movie that I've watched recently has had an impact in my life or not? But I think there's one that I think it's very fair to say that it, it does have an impact and it will have an impact in my life. And... That movie is, of course, everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, you know, really resonated with me. I adored that film. My favorite movie of 2022, as was yours, Lily. Mm -hmm. um, absolutely loved it. Some of the greatest experiences that I lived in this fourth year of uni have been surrounding everything, everywhere, all at once. You know, watching the film and premiere. Me and you, Lily, we've bonded thanks to this movie. We've had some great conversations thanks to this movie. We watched the Oscars together where everything, everywhere, all at once won Best Picture. Uh, and then, you know, at this point, kind of tangent, but at this point, I'm working on a short film. I'm writing a screenplay. I'm working on a short film that I want to shoot at some point in May. And... There was a part of the script, a conversation between a clay character and a real-life character that was going to be like the third act, like the big cathartic moment at the end of the script. And I hadn't figured out how the hell to write that script. And for some reason, after watching, after watching the Oscars, yeah, this was the night of the Oscars, after watching all of those clips from Everything Ever All at Once, after watching Ki Hoi Kwan give his incredible speech about don't give up and keep trying and don't let anyone tell you what you can or can't do, I went back home and I rewrote the script. 
and I think I nailed the final conversation. So yeah, this was a post Oscars so thing. So yeah, and I, yeah, now I have a shooting script. Now now I'm ready to shoot it in oh. May, hopefully. But yeah, and I think that brings this whole conversation to an end. Those are the 84 movies <laughs> that shaped my life. Thank you all so much for listening. You know, I I generally don't know if this is interesting for anyone. <laughs> I don't know if this is like therapy session for me or if this is actually entertaining for anyone else. But, you know, I appreciate you all sticking by, listening to me ramble about movies that I like and how they impact me. Um, you know, I hope you, you you found something of value out of, you know, all the bullshit I said, I guess. Um But yeah, that's it for the movies that shaped me. Next Monday, uh, same time, 4 to 6 p.m., we are going to have two very special guests, uh, the Rileys, Will and Liam Riley, that are going to be talking about the movies that shaped them. And then the week after that, on April 17th, our one and only Lily is going to be talking about the movies that shaped her. Are you excited, Lily? I'm so excited. How many did you have? I'll have 80. <laughs> I had 84. Five. You'll have I'll 85. I'll have 85. Fuck yes. <laughs> I um, love that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, hey, I, I apologize for the length. I, I didn't think this was going to be a two-parter, but I, I hope someone enjoyed it, okay? If, if someone out there enjoyed it, send us an email. I'd love to hear from you. <laughs> um, and yeah, and now before we say goodbye, we're going to go to our last, to our final musical break, and we're going to go listen to a song from The Worst Person in the World. And here it is. Goodbye to me, I looked in the mirror, then I began to cry. I leave my things behind for all to see and hope that she will understand why. Ending the game is like changing the name of your favorite song. Step out of rhyme for the very first time And the song is gone There's nothing left to say I'll pack up my memories Then I'll walk away 